Hello and welcome once again to FAA Safety Briefing Live. This is the May and June edition. I'm Paul Prydecker and hello, Susan. Hello, Paul. So the, um, the magazine is there for non-commercial general aviation. We've talked about these goals before. Um, raise awareness, of course, of all of the FAA resources and explain um, some of the safety and regulatory issues. And of course, you and I always talk about this, how you know we're always always in training and always looking for more information. Yeah, and this this page also has, um, and I think I think this is going to stay up through the year. This is our 60th anniversary. Uh, the magazine, as you see on that uh, video, the the slide there, we've had different covers and different names and different styles, but um, pretty much the same fundamental goals all along. And when we reorganized um, a few years ago. We made sure that each of the departments that we have, the regular departments, has a specific mission and function, and we we try to we try to stick to that. Um, as well as um, we we design the each issue to have a specific theme or focus area. And one of my magazine colleagues came up with a term that I still use. We want them to be shelf stable. Um, would like for them to be not just useful for the couple of months of the cover date, but also for reference purposes for at least a year or so. And of course, we revisit topics periodically, and we've already been doing that. Well, and the other thing I, I notice as I as I go through the magazine is that the, the information, none of it is a long read. It's informative, it's impactful, and it's a quick read on these topics. So it's it's easy to stay informed. Well, the quick read part—that's um, that's something that we've been very focused of, very conscious of, because in the world, in a world where people are accustomed to getting information in short bursts and in single screens, uh, we're aiming to accommodate that, including not just with the print version, but with the electronic versions of articles that appear through Medium. Um, I always said, and of course, this this was kind of unique to where I used to live in Washington D.C., but um, I needed the articles needed to be of a link that you could read it in a in one or two metro stops. So we're we're aiming to be short and sweet, and to very, the point. Very good. So this one is called "Sharing the Sky Safely," and it introduces um, a lot of information about, however you want to call them, drones, UAS, UAVs and also a little bit more about um, space initiatives. So what will we, uh, what will we go through tonight? Yeah, this was, the, you know, when you talked about learning, Paul, um, I, I learned a lot from preparing this issue because everything is constantly changing. The things that, um, you know, that, that people who are coming into aviation now are getting accustomed to all sorts of technologies and options that simply didn't exist when I started flight training. But um, this, the, doing the magazine is a great way to keep up with all that. So we thought that, that this was a, a particularly appropriate time to do our sharing the sky safely, um, new entrance in the national airspace system. So you'll see the, the feature articles there, who's new in the neighborhood, um, sharing the skies safely, that's the overall theme, but we're looking at un, unmanned traffic management, rolling out the rules, some of the new rules that have come along um, some of the other initiatives. And then, as you mentioned, commercial space. 
And I knew obviously that the FAA had a role in commercial space, but I learned quite a bit about just how big the agency's role is in commercial space from preparing this issue. Well, and as I was preparing this um, and reading, you know, through the material, uh, I received an article that came across my um, my email from one of the um, associations. And as you well know, I have a connection to the UK with my my um, family member living there, and we spent some time there. And the article was about. Uh, how the UK Royal Mail is starting to use drones to deliver packages to an island off of the um, uh, southwest coast of England. Oh, goodness. And, uh, it's, it's actually quite an impressive feat because the island is 70 miles away from the mainland and they're starting to deliver mail. And uh, they interviewed some of the people on the island and um, about what they thought about it. And the comment was, we're all very happy about it because now we can start getting our mail on time. So <laughs> that's fun. So just a you know ever increasing uses of of these devices and so many different opportunities. So well, and we get into that in this issue actually. So Rick Domingo's column is um, you've you've taken the word or the uh, acronym UAV and applied you, something yeah. different to it. Yeah, um, this one is uh, you know, a different take on what UAS means, Utility, mm -hmm. Accessibility, and Safety. And the article talks about the fact that, you know, as you, you were just talking about, Paul, that, that there is a great deal of utility in these devices. And we'll, we'll talk more about some of the specific things later on. You know, number, technical sophistication. But another thing about them is that they're accessible. So you do not have to, I, I, I never did add up all of the receipts from my flight training. And I think I would be a little frightened of the number if I did. But um, so, so flight training, sometimes uh, resources are a barrier to entry, but UAS, there, there's kind of one for every budget. Um, and so there, the accessibility and the, the ability to participate in this sector of aviation is much greater. But the safety piece hasn't changed. There are some different aspects of safety and different perspectives, but um, this, is, um, th this is a key piece. And of course, the FAA safety is the top priority. And our mission is to safely integrate these new technologies and new entrants into the national airspace system. And Susan, I think it might've been in our last um, safety briefing live, or maybe the time before we, I happen to come across a number that there are um, more than seven times the number of drones as there are registered aircraft. And of course that's on the increase by, by quite a lot. It is, it is. And so they, they have a, a vast range of sizes and capabilities and technologies. Um, but th this article also talks about what the FAA is doing to, uh, for UAS integration. And the way that, uh, and I, well, I keep saying integration because that's really an important point. This is not about carving off a section of airspace that will be reserved for UAS. This is about integrating these technologies and these aircraft into the system so that everybody will do what our theme says, share the skies safely. 
And the way that the agency has been going about it, it's, it's very hard to regulate something you don't know. And we're all learning and this is changing very rapidly. So the FAA has been using a series of programs and different initiatives to learn. And as it says here, the driving idea is incremental introduction via accommodation that we know is safe which provides training wheels. We learn from that and then we move to the next one. So it's going from like the trike to the training wheels to the bike and you know maybe the unicycle at some point. Well, and certainly the same thing had to happen years ago as more and more airplanes became useful and more common for transportation and for other purposes, more rules had to be developed for the same purpose. So this is just an extension of what's already being done um, on a fairly grand scale. Indeed. Yeah. So um, I always like this one because it's it has a little Shakespeare in it. Um, it does. I didn't even write it. I, I, I love literature. I, 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 I didn't write it. So one of the things that we we learn as we go through this is that there are so many new terms, technologies. There's acronyms. And there's even acronyms embedded in acronyms. So it's another new language to learn. And uh, one of the articles actually addresses that um, in terms of, you know, training drone pilots. Um, they have to be trained into some of the language of, of what we're talking about in terms of airspace. So this is, a, this is a very good review of just some of the nomenclature that we need to sort through. Yeah, it starts out with that quote where, well, the title is What's in a Name, and it starts out with that Shakespearean quote from Romeo and Juliet, actually. Uh, a rose by any other name would be as sweet. Well, this is, um, it, it explains the the term drone, um, which I, I, I think that the FAA kind of resisted for a long time. And as they say in Star Wars, uh, well, actually, um, part of Star Trek, Resistance is futile, prepare to be assimilated. So I think that there's there's a lot of, uh, of well, people use it all the time now. But but it, it explains what an air, a, an unmanned aircraft system is, that a, what a vehicle is. And then uh, this is a term that I always thought was, um, was helpful, remotely piloted aircraft system, which is, that tends to be the, the international term. But I like that one simply because remotely piloted makes it clear that it actually does have a pilot. When you say unmanned, it suggests yes. that nobody's there and that's not true. And then there are, there are some other you know, variations, first person view, FPV. Um, I've learned a lot of fresh acronyms from here too. So the remote pilot has an onboard the aircraft view. And so it's, it's kind of like you are there, you're, you're looking at it as if you were sitting in the front seat of this little thing. And then there, then there are model aircraft, which are a different thing entirely. But um, I, I thought that this was a nice introductory piece for here's what these things here, here's what the terms mean. But I think most people just default to drone, and that's okay. Well, and I thought the the part about this, this description of a system because it really is yeah. a system. Totally. You, you you have some electronic architecture. You've got the drone itself. You've got the person at the business end of all of this and perhaps an extended ground crew, depending on the operation, so. Exactly. Um, what's new in the neighborhood? Um, really kind of looking at some of the new things that are coming in terms of space and in terms of supersonic aircraft. Um, 
I remember, and I'm, I know you do as well from, you know, commercial aviation, um, you know, the Concorde was quite the aircraft at the time and will always be remembered by many. Um, as a young person, I think I was maybe nine at the time, I went to a, um, a uh, Armed Forces Day presentation at an airport near where I grew up in Northern Texas. And I was actually able to see the Valkyrie, which for those of you who might remember it as the XB-70. And that was really um, one of the um, really ahead of its time in terms of trying to do supersonic flight. And as a, as a young person of nine seeing the XB-70, if, if our viewers haven't not familiar with it, it's worth a look up to see what it is, but they only made two of them. One of them unfortunately crashed and the other one is in the um, Air Force Museum at, in Dayton, but nothing but smoke and noise. It was, a, <laughs> it, was a, it was a wonderful experience to be able to see that and to see it fly. And then of course um, the Concorde. So it's nice to see that there's more discussion about development of supersonic aircraft and you know, other, other approaches into our system. Well, uh, another thing, game-changing innovation, people talk about drones, but but this whole idea of electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles to move passengers around. Sure. And I, I know people who are working in those sectors now who are working for companies that are making these things. And they, they seem very futuristic, but they, they also are making real progress. And then, um, so you mentioned supersonic travel. Um, there is a final rule that streamlines and clarifies procedures for approval for that. Um, you, we, we were chatting earlier about some of these things like this commercial space launches, 41 um, in 2020. So even if, um, if some of us didn't fly as much as we might have in the past, there, there was quite a bit of commercial space activity considering, you know, it used to be a once every three years thing and 41 launches in a year is quite a bit. Um, but again, it's it, what we were talking about, key to being able to do this is the risk-based decision-making, performance-based requirements, and um, you know, providing guardrails, but also room to experiment and innovate. Well, and, and so many things that, you know, we look to say, well, this will be in the future. So much of it we've already seen in, in interpretation of science fiction and other things from years ago some of the some of what we saw years ago is is the reality now so absolutely and actually science fiction i think inspired some of the realities For which sure. is a good segue into this article sharing the skies safely this is um this one starts out and and by the way i, I have to say we we benefited this time we worked with um a lot of colleagues in the UAS integration office in the commercial space area and other parts of the FAA that we don't normally, we don't interact with as much. And we had, we, we found some really good writers and some um, really interesting stories that we heard in the background as we were preparing this. But this one kind of starts out like the Jetsons. I remember that cartoon, that Saturday yeah, morning cartoon. You know, it's 2030, you're flying club, you got a fully electric airport. Um, I, I suspect that hamburgers are going to be a lot more expensive than 100 bucks. But, you know, you just, you, you jump in your little electric vehicle and go zipping around to get your $100 hamburger or whatever it costs. And um, you, there's not as much that you have to do with it. And that is all because of this um, 
UTM, the the unmanned the the U.S. Traffic Management System. This is one. This is one of those things that's an acronym buried in an acronym. You, yeah. Yeah. Is the U.S. Traffic Management. Yeah, and UTM is not a single big monolithic tool at all. It's federated lots of participants, but it all depends on data sharing, cooperation, and a lot of it, it sounds like if it goes the way that everybody wants it to be, it's gonna be kind of seamless to, um, you know, to, to people who are using it. You can use it to plan routes and navigate and the services are gonna communicate. So to help you avoid, I, I, I like this term strategic deconfliction, um, but, the other the other thing that was in this article is that yeah this may sound uh, like space travel um but it's actually um it's actually a lot a lot of it is available right here and right now sure well and the evolution of just the, the drone technology the dis differentiation between line of sight and then operating beyond line of sight is addressed and of course, if your line of sight is going to be more easy to manage and beyond line of sight needs some um, additional integration into the uh, system, and it puts a lot of um, training requirements, of course, to integrate within there. So just in the last few years, I mean, the ability of, of drones to go, you know, beyond the front yard is... Um, meant that you know the 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 rules the regulations and as you've talked about the integration into the airspace is more and more important this this makes me think about your former um director of flight sanders john duncan your your friend and colleague i was in a conference um some industry conference a few years ago and he was one of the keynote speakers and he was telling the story of um, how, like a lot of children, he had, you know, been looking at airplanes and would watch them fly over. And he said one one day he was about five years old and he went up to his mom and was looking up in the sky at a contrail. And mom, when he said, "Mom, when I grow up, I'm gonna regulate those." <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure too many people said that, but that's that's a good introduction to this rolling out the rules piece. Um, mm -hmm. I would note that if you have the print copy, you might want to go look at the online issue because we have made some updates to that particular article. But this describes um, two new drone rules, remote identification and operations over people. And I, I have to say that the acronyms here, I, I, I'm not sure I would have picked those, but but there they are. Um, operations over people and remote ID. Remote, they're, they're both performance-based uh, rules. And they're both intended to help with the integration. They're both built on the experience and the um, activities that have been going on when we talked about you know, strategic accommodation, trying to learn from projects what needs to be regulated. So remote ID is your digital license plate. That's how most people are describing it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's intended to balance safety with um, you know, it's the whole idea is the need for expanded operations um, with safety, and that's always the balance you try to strike. With obviously safety being the top priority. 
Well, and, and the article goes on to say that there are, there's two main ways of doing the, the RID, and then there is a third way. Um, one is the drone has an embedded RID device in it to begin with. The other is um, there's a broadcast module which can be attached to the drone as a separate device. And then the other is this um, a new term which I wasn't familiar with again until I read this, the FAA recognized identification area, um, which is an area created to be able to fly drones without RID, but to be safe. Yeah, that, that was a new term for me too. I think it's because it's a new thing. Um, mm -hmm. The article has a lot of great graphics in it that will just take you through what the main pieces of the rule are. So this is not a, um, it, please don't think that it's just a repeat or rehash of what the rules say because legal language can be a little difficult to read. This has some really nice graphics and one, two, three, fours. And then it talks about the four categories for ops over people. Um, the whole thing is that all of these are about setting the stage for um, more complex operations. Yeah, I, I thought that the, the four categories of operations and then these new rules and then plus how to be RID compliant, it's, it's uh, as we talked about earlier, it's a lot of information in a, in a fairly quick read. Um, this next one is it's one of our normal columns, vertically speaking, and it's, of course, about helicopters. And this is really an article about how um, we have to work together as drone operators and, and in aircraft like helicopters. Um, it lists um, some techniques for helicopter operators to um, fly offensively and defensively, I would say. Um, so some very good information there, but the spirit of it is um, training and examples of how to, as, as you said earlier, play nice together. Well, and playing nice is, is very important. Uh, a remote ID is part of making, you know, helping those things to, to accommodate those things. Um, but the, one of the, the points that it makes, and I'm, I'm kind of cognizant, cognizant of this as the West Coast goes into wildfire season, um, that there, there are public safety, you know, there are a lot of helicopters that go over during wildfire fighting and there are drones are sometimes used, but this is not a fly your own drone in to check it out because these interfere with um, exactly. with firefighting or public safety operations. And when the FAA hears about that, it's the improper drone operations is something that we have to look into. And in some cases, the compliance program, if it's, you need to learn about it, but obviously if it's intentional, reckless, willful, um, there would be a different approach to it. But uh, the whole idea of midairs, um, which is kind of implied in this article, it's particularly compelling um, if I'm sure everybody by now has seen the pictures from that accident in Centennial. It's yes. just absolutely incredible that those two airplanes both landed, um, one with a parachute and the other. Um, I'm not sure how the, the Metroliner held together, but it was pretty amazing. Well, and the, the other part of this article, too, is that um, drones can be a um, element of risk mitigation for helicopter operators because the type of operations that 
helicopters might have done in the past can now be done with drones more safely and more effectively. So it's also an evolution of some of the technology and, and uses. So um, again, our, our vertical speaking column was was good and you know a lot of good good information in it. Um, you're not alone with your drone. Yeah, so, that was a fun title. We had fun yes. with that one too. <laughs> so your uh, social media editor, I believe, wrote this, Paul Cianciola. Yeah, and um, it, we well, there there are a lot we've already established. There are a lot of new acronyms for the drone world, and this Connect You, I had heard of it, but I I had to um, actually learn from this that it mean it stands for Cross Organizational Networking Education and Communications Team for UAS. And this has been around since 2016. It's a fast team outreach. It's got 12 members that include experts in a lot of aspects of UAS. And the whole thing has been to um, looking at the fact that the UAS remote pilots are, in some cases, um, people who already have pilot certificates are getting involved in UAS. But in some cases, this is the entry point. And new pilots who are not coming in through the kinds of ground schools that we went through may not be familiar with the sorts of things that we kind of take for granted. So this is about learning to integrate uh, Pioneer, as it says at the bottom there, new approaches to communication and outreach, um, webinars, um, you know, all kinds of things to educate new entrants into what does some of this stuff mean and how do you safely operate your drone. And then uh, there's also, uh, you saw in there that it ha we have drone pros. Yes. Mm -hmm. So. There's a, there's a, um, a link at the end, or a uh, phone number at the end about how you can become a drone pro. And it basically starts by going to your um, fasting program manager and discussing that. So it's, it's about education and as you said it's about learning some of the language and the technology so that um, pilots and drone operators are all speaking some of the same language and we're familiar with each other's world so to speak well the other the other thing that connect you is trying to do is to help uas operators understand what they need to do for things like if you want to operate at night or if you want to do visual line of sight if you are looking for a waiver if you're looking for some, to do something different, um, it's it's very easy in a big bureaucracy to get processes, to get crossways with the processes. But Connect You is um, all about educating, not just about this is the environment that you're operating in, but it's also about educating on here's how to do some of the things that you want to do with your drone. And the other part of the article is that if you do want to be a drone pro, there's some requirements and the article goes through and lists the four or five bullet points of general general requirements. So it's it's good information and a, and a good way to have an impact into the industry. And speaking of impact, that brings us to our FAA faces. Yeah, so, Guido Hasek, he, um, well, like a lot of us, he got started early with uh, airplanes. He, he said 12, I can beat him because I got interested when I was three. It took me, it took me a few more years than that to get involved in aviation because there was this funny little thing like time and money. But anyway, um, he, he got his first airplane ride at 12 and then went on from there. Pilot maintenance technician started volunteering for the FAST team. 
And in fact, that's where I met him not too long after I started working for the FAA. He, um, he invited me to come up to do a fast team program on something I was working on at the time. So I um, had a really good time visiting him in his, um, in his home territory at the time. And he is the team lead for Connect You, which we were just talking about. And it's all, all of the people that you feature in, in FAA Faces, they, they all have such interesting backgrounds and entry into, entry into flying as well as entry into the FAA. So they bring a lot of their, you know, their experience and some of the passions from, you know, other um, careers into the FAA. And this seems like the same for this, this gentleman. Well, and he's, because he's bilingual in both worlds, he's, he's obviously gotten very involved in the, the drone world that he's able to help bridge the gaps. And, and he's the one who pointed out, you know, some of the biggest challenges are that drone language and traditional aviation are different and you need unique approaches because the demographics in some cases are different. Um, but they've also designated, as you see on the, one of the, on the slide there, um, qualified third parties to administer, um, and there are some other, and there's another fun acronym, the recreational trust. UAS safety test, trust. Um, but um, the question he asked at the end, the difference between an aviator and a pilot, that's kind of out of Richard Bach. So he's speaking my language there too. Yes, I, I saw that and I enjoyed that. Um, I think, um, I think he has such a nice way of approaching this. So it's nice to see him in there. Our next one is don't fear the drone. And uh, this is by your uh, colleague, uh, Jennifer, uh, a good writer and a lot of information. And the one that stuck out was by 2024, we could have as many as 800,000 registered drones, which seems like a- Which is a lot, registered commercial drones, okay? And that's different from um, yes. from the fact that total registered drones. And this is, this is a, a discussion about some of the the fears that people already in an industry have when a new technology comes in and it's innovative, but I think the term that they use a lot is disruptive. And so I, I think there's a fear that, uh, and you hear people talking about getting in airplanes with no pilots in the front. I think, I think we're a little ways from that. But, but the, the reality here is to talk about some of the value and the added value and the additional things that drones can do, including um, you know, dangerous jobs that where you wouldn't or couldn't send a, a traditional pilot or an aircraft into. Well, it, it's like anything with technology. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't that long ago that people were just afraid of glass, glass cockpits, glass technology, autopilots, more automation. But we've learned to use it, to manage it, to adapt to it. And this is just another example of um, it started out not that long ago and it's been rapidly developing and with rapidly developing technology, um, as we've talked about, it needs to be managed. There has to be, of course, some um, rule and regulation to it. Um, but I think the other part of this is you don't really know what it might um, create in terms of 
um, people's exposure to this aspect of aviation might then go into other aspects of aviation in terms of maintenance, in terms of possibly being a pilot or working at the FAA. So you, this, this is a, a whole new area where not only their commercial opportunities are expanding rapidly, but it might be a source of other people in, in the workforce. Well, and I, I thought that uh, one of the key points, which I made sure I put on the slide here, a huge boost to the economy, that um, if you look at that, estimates inc indicate that UAS could generate $84 billion and create 100,000 new jobs over the next 10 years. And sure. that might be conservative because there are just so many areas where we, we can't even imagine all of them yet. And people, every time you you have a, a technological development, people think of new things that they can do beyond that. So, um, so yeah, this was, uh, let's get the benefits and don't be afraid that it's gonna, it, yeah, it, it, it will change some of the ways that we do things now, but hey, you know, when the airplane came along, um, it kind of changed the trains and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think another uh, title for this could have just been don't fear the technology because it's, <laughs> it's just, it's just another example of, you know, technology and it's here. It, I mean, it's here to stay and it's going to grow. So I remember a pilot I used to work with many, many years ago was, um, lamenting, you know, all of the glass, you know, cockpit technology. And, and I said, I said, you know, this, this is, it's here and it's some, it's new and, you know, we can teach you this and there's so many advantages. And I said, for example, you know, the airplane you're going to be moving into has a moving map technology. And I said, it helps with situational awareness and safety and and he said, well, the only movie Mac I'm used to is the road atlas when it falls off my knee. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Yeah, well, we all have to we all have to we adapt. All have to catch up, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. And this is especially exciting too, because um, all of the academia and the chances of introducing younger generations and diverse generations into this market and technology. Yeah, the the collegiate training initiative is to provide FA expertise and backing for careers in this area. So this uh, initiative is about is just over a year old now, and its goal is to ensure that graduates, as it says there, have the knowledge and the skills to pursue um, UAS related careers. And it is very much connected to the concern about aviation workforce development. Yeah. Uh, having qualified um, professionals and uh, supporting the idea of integration. So uh, if you'll see, you, you see over there, and Paul, I think you talked to somebody today who has participants. I, did. I, I talked to our, our friend and uh, our colleague, Kent Lovelace from the um, um, University of North Dakota in uh, Grand Forks. And I was reading through this and I just sent him a quick message. And then I said, how many people do you have enrolled in your, UAS program, and he said 200, which is a, you know, it's a big number, so. It's a pretty big number. 71 schools, 135 have asked to join. Um, another another thing that the FA is doing is um, making sure that, you know, reaching out to diversity to minority serving institutions, and you see the, the list there. Um, also, some of the public to your colleges. So this is aiming to cast the net um, 
far and wide and encourage all kinds of people who may not have thought about aviation before to get involved. It goes back to uh, what Rick Domingo's column was talking about, utility, accessibility, and safety. The accessibility means this is a technology that is more accessible and more affordable in many cases than traditional aviation may have been. So it's yeah. it's all about promoting science, technology, engineering, and math, and um, you know, trying to work with people and bring them into aviation however we can. Yeah, it's it's such great opportunities. Um, this is a great resource um, about trying to learn more about this. So can you tell us a little bit more about this page? Yeah, Checklist is the department that we use to focus on FA resources. The FA website's a pretty big place, and you may not know of all of the resources that are available for free. And in this case, we have a, the FA website has a UAS portal. And when you enter the portal, there's a landing page that has links to all sorts of things. So if, if you're um, not in aviation at all, or if you're a traditional pilot and you're looking to get into the UAS area, you can go here and there's a, a decision tree that you can follow. I, I clicked around and, and experimented with it, so it works. You know, if you, if you know where you wanna go, you click and it takes you down a path. If you click on not sure, you'll get some questions that will try to help narrow it down to where you wanna go. And so it offers information on the before you fly app to the drone zone, um, keeping your remote pilot certificate current and uh, links to information as well about the, the new rules that we talked about early, earlier. And it, there are links to information like this new advisory circular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just gonna mention that there's a new AC out, which answers a lot of the questions. So, I'm sure that this is a site that is updated often because there's so many things changing and so much material coming. Yeah, but I, I think it's it's a great place. If you're interested in this, go to the UAS portal and bookmark it. Um, I don't remember uh, specifically, but most FAA website pages, there's an opportunity to subscribe to it. So when it is updated, you could have, uh, you could get a notice about it. There are several pages that I subscribe to, so I get regular email updates for things. Sure. So I like this, this column. I know, I, no, I recognize it as yours right away because the alliteration a bit of ruminations on remoteness and, and what do you mean? Well, you know, I was trying to figure out how to close the issue, which is the purpose of this, um, this particular department. And it lets me try to be creative, but this one was not so hard to do because I just don't like the word remote. Um, I think that remote, because the definition there is having little to do with or connection to something. And so um, I, I have always resisted the idea, even though I'm a full-time telework employee, I like the term distributed workforce, because mm -hmm. I think when you talk about remote employees, it suggests that you're disconnected. And in fact, I did an online degree, and I can tell you that as a teleworking employee, I sometimes am far more connected than if I were sitting in an office with people who may or may not stop by. I mean, sometimes you sit in an office and you you communicate electronically with people who are in the next office, which is kind of funny. But um, I, I think what I really wanted to get at in this piece though is remote does not mean 
that you are not involved and not connected. I would suggest, based on what I know about it, is that drone flying or being a remote pilot involves just as much, if not more, not more. connection. Because it, it's not simple. You need to know the aircraft. You need to know systems. You need to know airspace. Um, you, you may have a crew. You may have um, all kinds. Of, you, you may have a multi-member crew, not just a first officer. So remote is... Um, it's, it's a term and I think we're kind of stuck with it. But, but the real point that I wanted to make is the last one that's on the slide here. There is nothing remote about piloting a drone. And so pilots need to stay connected to everything that they're doing. Situational awareness, the same stuff that you do everywhere else. So those were my ruminations on remoteness. Nicely said. Um, Space um, again is a young person. I I watched um, I watched the all the launches the Mercury program the Gemini program the Apollo program and the shuttles and then there was not much activity and now there's a lot more activity and again this is an example of something that the FAA needs to have some view over because it's part of the airspace. Well, you know, the private ownership and operation are starting up. Government had a big role at the beginning because it was too expensive, but now commercial space has um, grown up. And so the FAA is, is licensing domestic launch sites, and you see the list of states there yes. with more planned in the future. Um, new processes to di the dynamic launch and reentry windows. There's this um, funny thing, the space data integrator system, which will allow launch operators to share telemetry data. Um, it says the goal is to have it operational by spring 2021, which would be about now. Um, then the other piece is that I, I think naturally people think of space and they think of NASA and not the FAA. But the author here, one of our colleagues, really explains that NASA is primarily about research and development, and it's yeah. not about regulation. And now that we're getting into commercial space, regulation of things like airspace and spaceports and uh, airmen, um, this is something that we have a lot of experience with. So certifying airports, carriers, operators, um, launch approvals, all of those things are, are roles that the FA has always taken, we're just moving them into the commercial space realm. And there's so much going on and it's such, it's, it, it's really nice to see it again. And um, I, I was stunned when I, uh, last year when they had the um, first launch with the two individuals, um, saw a view of the, you know, their flight deck and Oh my goodness! The the tech compared to you know the capsules of you know Gemini and Apollo. I mean, this was this is like sitting in a Lexus, you know, and going to space in it. It was truly well, amazing. The other thing that was amazing, and this is a little bit off topic, but I, I the the spacesuits that they wore. Oh yeah, I mean, you see Apollo thirteen, and they're they're like these um, Pillsbury Doughboy creatures, and these yes. guys were in something far you know, more sleek and streamlined than that. But, um, but again, I, I, I think it's really great that the agency has so much of a role in and, and working with NASA on all of these things. But I, I think that as commercial space literally takes off, 
that there's going to be a bigger and bigger role. We, we do actually have a, a whole line of business for commercial space in the FAA. Yeah, it's a great topic. It's good to see the growth. Um, this next one is about um, GA activity survey. And uh, it's just trying to get a handle on GA operations in part 135. And what do you use that information for? Well, all kinds of things. Um, you know, surveys, when you get a survey, whether it's electronic or in the paper or, or um, the paper one, which, by the way, you can do this survey, either one, there's a temptation to just put it aside. But surveys, and especially this general aviation and 135 activity survey, it's in its 43rd year. But that is how the FAA gets information about the fleet, the hours flown, how people are using GA aircraft. And the reason, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty short, it's 10 minutes if you get it. But uh, the, the purpose of this is to help um, direct the products and services. It's used for safety analysis, for forecasting and planning, um, accident rates, spotting trends, um, determining safety performance. So there are a lot of different um, uses for it. It is de-aggregated data and nothing is connected to individuals. That's something people worry about sometimes. And the FAA, as it does with a lot of things, there's a firm that's contracted by the FAA to conduct the survey. And they made it a point to say in here that they, are, they, they wanna be available if people have questions or concerns. Um, and so they, um, they're, they're available if people need to talk about a piece of this. But if you happen to get one of these surveys, the point of this is please do fill it out and send it in because it's kind of like the census. Um, mm -hmm. Services and goods and all kinds of things are allocated based on what you think the activity in the population is. Sure. Susan, the last uh, time we had this, we introduced the, um, Susan Northrup, and now her article is about flight path to transparency is a bit about some, some of her initiatives for medical certification. Yeah, she has already made, been reaching out a lot. Uh, Dr. Northrup introduced herself in our last issue, but um, this, this piece, and I think this is going to be, uh, it's going to resonate with a lot of people out there that she's totally aware. And remember from the last time she and her husband are both pilots, they own a couple of aircraft that she knows there's frustration with how things are being processed. So they have been um, meeting with stakeholders virtually like um, everything else that we do these days. And the two overreaching goals, overarching goals here, one is, um, as it says here, a reliable, consistent and quality decision within 60 days uh, of somebody who uh, presents for certification. And second, if you don't meet the standard, use the way, the best means possible to figure out if they can safely be certi um, certified. So another thing that is related to this is processing time. We talked about the 60 days, but they're, they're looking at uh, moving to electronic systems that will enable you to track the application package. They've identified new conditions that are the CASI um, conditions that can be certified in the office and also the uh, AME assisted special issuance process. So they're also looking for more outreach, education videos. Um, but I, I think that she is very committed as she said, and she stresses in every appearance that she makes, very committed to finding a pathway to yes that uh, to certify as many people as safely as possible 
and as quickly and efficiently as possible. So I, I think that I think that we will be seeing some real positive changes in the in the days to come. Well, it's good it's good to see that and to read about it, and we'll look forward to you know her next column because it's it's um, very informative, and we'll be anxious to see what what's the next step. And I think the FAA is still figuring out its participation at AirVenture, but usually um, the federal air surgeon and team, um, they, they almost always go and they, they tend to be one of the most popular um, exhibits that we have in the FAA Safety Center. I'm, sure. I'm hoping that we'll be able to do things there um, because, you know, with more people being vaccinated, which is the topic of the next piece here. It is about vaccines, of course, um, you can't turn on the news anymore without hearing stories about vaccines and um, our progress and the continued development and all of the vaccines that are still undergoing evaluation. So this is an article that summarizes a little bit of the science, but um, brings in important FAA information about which ones are um, been approved by the FAA and the fact that there's still a um, waiting period after you've been vaccinated. Well, this is, I, I, I thought this was kind of fun because you think of vaccines, you hear about them being the infectious live but attenuated yes. and all the stuff that, that, you know, were in the vaccines that I got as a kid. But COVID-19 vaccines are a whole new level of technology. Indeed. And the ones that have been, um, have emergency use authorization, which is explained here, um, that those those are a, a, a totally different technology that I think is pretty stunning, as well as the the development time. But this explains that, uh, of course, again, the FAA does not we don't approve or accept we we kind of accept things and we determine what can be safely used in in aviation. And in this case, um, the the decision was to go ahead and authorize use of these vaccines, but the 48 hour waiting period is because there are side effects. I know I had, I had a couple of days and I think you did too, after the vaccine where sure. didn't feel really a hundred percent. And some people have no, no side effects at all. Other people do, but the point is um, be safe and take the 48 hours and the FA is going to continue to monitor additional vaccines as they come online too. Yeah, it's, it's great progress. And you know, the FAA is 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 doing the the right and the obvious thing, uh, allowing vaccines to be approved, building in a little bit of caution. So, um, our maintenance uh, nuts, bolts, and electrons is about aircraft mufflers, and this is quite compelling. About um, first of all, it, it it can be a hidden problem that you may not see. The article is really a, about encouraging you to, you know, during a pre-flight or post-flight inspection to have a look and talks about some of the risks. Uh, carbon monoxide, of course, is one of them. Uh, fires are the other. Uh, power so it's, loss. It's, I'm sorry? Power loss or failure is another yes. one. Power loss, of course. It, it's one of those things that um, it's a component that we take for granted, but we shouldn't. Well, yeah, exactly. And these are things, uh, and the reason it's in nuts, bolts, and electrons is it's it's partly to educate pilots on what are some of the things that you might want to talk to the mechanic about, but also to remind mechanics 
that this is something that you need to not just look at the outside, but look at, at things a little bit more closely. Um, I will say that uh, it's been interesting with this article. We have had a significant amount of feedback from people who really appreciated this information. It's like, oh gosh, I didn't know that. And I do know that the, um, the inspector who contributed a lot of the information here was quite passionate about it and has been very excited to be able to get this information out to people um, and to let people know also about uh, things like this advisory circular and the pressure testing. So it's, this is not trying to teach people who are not mechanics to be mechanics, but it is about trying to make us all aware that these are things that we need to be mindful of and maybe ask questions about. Well, and that, and you're right. I mean, raising awareness is, is what it takes. I mean, if you think about the function it performs and where it's doing it, it's subject to horrendous temperatures, lots of pressure and a lot of heat. And it has the um, integrity of it needs to be checked from, you know, from time to time. So um, I'm, not, I'm not surprised you got a lot of good feedback on it because it's um, something that's quite important to the group. Um, as we get close to the end here, um, this ATIS is our Aviation News Roundup. Um, interesting statistic that with the number of, you know, flights that were down last year, the laser strikes are on the increase, which is not good news. Yeah. Well, I remember my last, I think my last month of flying um, for the airline, I, I had a laser strike um, incident uh, going into O'Hare. And if you tell the controllers that they're very serious about it, they want to know exactly where and, you know, they can get your position. And, you know, of course they try to find the person. Well, and when they do find them, the FAA takes that really seriously in terms of sure. fines and that sort of thing. Um, there, there are a couple of things in here too that I thought were fun. Um, we, we, in a previous uh, episode, we talked about webcams and the webcam yes. program, it started in Alaska and now it's moved to Hawaii. So if you're flying in the Hawaiian Islands, um, you can take advantage of that. And then consistent with our theme of UAS, um, there are five airports that have been selected to test and evaluate some new systems for UAS. And this is, again, we, we talked earlier about the training wheels, using programs to try to allow certain things with safety parameters around it and see what we can learn from that and then move uh, move forward. I think the other uh, state that we talked about webcams was in Colorado, looking at yes. some of the mountain airports and looking at some of the real-time weather data and weather information coming from that. So yep, this seems like it's something that's just as expanding. Yeah, and I think it's expanding as quickly as, uh, as, as they can get it done. But I, I thought that was kind of neat to see the follow-up to Hawaii. Very good. Um, we always talk about this, and you've just addressed this, that you, you often get some feedback in various social media um, venues. But what are, what are some of the other ways people can give you feedback? Well, you can always write to us, safetybriefing at fa.gov. Uh, we monitor the mailbox and we do um, respond to that uh, directly and or through forum, which is um, we're printing letters to the editor. Mm -hmm. uh, we're on Twitter at FA Safety Brief. Uh, we contribute to, um, to the FA's social media, Facebook. So there are a lot of ways to, to reach us, but those are two of the obvious ones. And those, those two addresses are monitored pretty constantly. Very good. As we always do, we give a little wrap up about how to how to get FAA safety briefing. Um, well, there's 
Yep, there's the website. Um, you've got email notifications. We already uh, provided the Twitter address. You can subscribe to the print edition. And the, the mo free download is in PDF, and we've got archived issues. But we also put mobile-friendly links to individual features on that, on that page. And uh, those also um, are distributed through in individual articles through the FA's Medium blog. So there are a lot of different ways to get the content. I'd like to download my own version. I like it a lot. So, and July and August, um, what what can we expect? Well, I think this, I found this picture, this this may is a candidate for the cover picture or at least some version of it. Yeah, this is about uh, embracing the environment. Um, it's an update to a flying green issue that we did several years ago because I mean, this is something that's important to everybody. And uh, I think there, there's some really fun stuff that we're looking into here. Well, we'll look forward to it. And I'm always, always in interested to see what the content will be because it keeps me sharp learning some new things. That's As a idea. reminder, folks, uh, Wings and AMT credit. Once again, we, we bring you the page that um, you can link to to uh, get credit. Make sure you take the test, of course. And that's about the end of this for tonight, Susan. It's um, good to work with you again. This, it's been remote. But yeah, we, I know. I was going to say that it's been, been so. remote, but we were connected. So there you go. See you next time, folks. Be safe. Take care. Bye bye.